0: Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 121. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. You know, it's really hot outside. We are in the throes of summer. But what better way to cap off your day than an ice-cold Labatt Blue? It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we always ask that you drink Labatt Blue Responsibly. And with that said, let's bring in our guest for episode 121. We are still at the summer showcase here in Plymouth, Michigan, as uh, Team USA, Team Canada, Team Finland, and uh, Team Sweden do battle. And uh, these young men are competing for an invite to be on their world junior teams um, for the world junior uh, uh, tournament that uh, the 2020, I guess, technically world junior tournament that is in Czechoslovakia, I believe, uh, uh, this coming uh, December and uh, January. Uh, And with that said, and maybe it's appropriate that our guest is uh, Yuri Fisher, the director of player evaluation for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Yuri, I gotta admit, I'm. He's a buddy of mine. i liked this guy, talked to him a long time for over the years. And so, uh, Yuri, it's great to have you on the Red and White Authority. It's been over a year since you've been on, but uh, uh, thank you very much for doing this.
1: Yeah, really fun, really fun. Thank you very much. First of all, I, I thought you were going to say... Ice cold USA Arena in Plymouth, and then you, uh, then, then you actually uh, threw the threw the branding in there. It was, so. it was
0: pretty good, though, right?
1: <laughs> it was very good. <laughs> it was very good. They, and we got to settle the record straight. You know, the Czechoslovakia thing that like, uh, yeah. hasn't been around since
0: nineteen ninety three. Oh, so. right, well, the Czech Republic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Pardon yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. And, yeah,
1: and you know what? Like Peter Mrazek is actually uh, he is in the logo for the World Juniors this year. Is he so, really? Uh, Ex Red Wing, and because uh, it's played in his hometown. So, uh, you know, it's uh, obviously a huge event annually, and uh, the Czechs are very proud of hosting it. Um, you know, I'm an, I'm an American now. I still go to Czech Republic uh, frequently, grew up there. And um, as we speak, I'll be heading there uh, for the Hlinka tournament uh, that's uh, happening about a week from now. And uh, I'll be there for the semifinals and finals on uh, the 9th and 10th of August. So.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I'm dating and you can see how old I am because, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously I know it's the Czech Republic. I've always gone out of my way to say that, but but I do remember Czechoslovakia, too, you know, which has now been split in, and rightly so, into two uh, sovereign and independent nations. Uh Director of Player Evaluation, I know that since Steve has come back, there's been a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, people's roles have shifted a little bit within the organization, but yours is still pretty much the same. If you can explain to everybody exactly what your, uh, what your job is.
1: Yeah, titles are titles, obviously. If you're a head coach or GM, you know, it, uh, it's an important title, I think, for uh, everybody else. The job description really is uh, that's where the passion should be channeled towards and um, so uh, the, you know my responsibility the last three years have been overseeing the uh, free agent signing out of college, free agent signings out of Europe and then uh, you know also overage guys and juniors so uh, it's uh, it varies from year to year. Um, based on um, obviously, there's only 50 contract rule that you can have as an NHL organization. That's not counting American League contracts. Not just players that play in the American League. Right,
0: the Red Wings can have 50 players under contract.
1: Under uh, NHL contracts, right, yeah. right, right. And then um, you know, then there's obviously Grand Rapids contracts, and then you know Toledo contracts, and so it's a pretty sophisticated system the way it works. But uh, there's always a room. Uh, seems to be, uh, you know, the last several years particularly that there's been few Europeans that have come over at later age, 23, 24, you know, some guys come over at 25 and they become pretty good players. Um, you know, one of them happened to be the top free agent this this summer that ended up signing with the New York Rangers and it's Artemi Panarin and a mm-hmm. you know, player that's uh, you know, he uh, i actually um, was an assistant coach for Czech Republic uh, at the World Juniors. Uh, that was the 91 birth year uh, that was played uh, in Buffalo. Uh, we had the Russians in the group and, um, you know, Artemi Panarin was on that team and, you know, uh, Zaitsev was on that team. And, uh, you know, two players, they were undrafted and uh, one found his way uh, to be a pretty good defenseman uh, for Toronto. Now he got traded to Ottawa and then... Uh, Artemi obviously took his time and became a dominant player in the NHL.
0: So is this kind of a new phenomena? I mean, this this aspect of scouting. I know that the tentacles of the NHL scouting staffs are are all over the world because it is an international game, but it, it seems that your position is, is would you say it's a newly created position in the hierarchy of NHL club? I would
1: say there is definitely a uh, new emphasis on that. And, um, you know, I uh basically the recruiting process also falls uh, uh onto my lap that um that that never ha- existed in uh in pro hockey and right, uh you know right. now there is uh if there is a top free agent uh that's played uh you know on a national team in europe for uh for any of the countries of uh, russia czech republic germany uh you know finland sweden and they happen to be very good they happen to play uh, at the world championships uh, at the end of the year it's not unusual that some of those guys have, um, you know, five to ten NHL offers on the table from uh, from various different teams. And uh, so there's definitely a recruiting process um, to uh, some of these free agents. And uh, also some countries uh, in Europe or respective uh, federations, hockey federations, they have uh, different agreements with the NHL, how the system also works when players are under contract. So I'll give you two examples of, uh, you know, Switzerland and uh, and Russia they don't really have uh, an agreement with uh, the NHL so there is Russians that are playing in the KHL and we're already projecting that uh, when their contract expires uh, there might be available in the spring of 2022 so really the planning okay. goes uh, uh, the planning goes a long way and um, you know in the meantime uh, the one common thing I find uh, obviously when uh, when respective free agent uh, is good and there's definitely a lot of NHL interest in them is uh, they like to have an opportunity to play and uh, they really want to make sure that the organization knows them inside and out. Right. That the coach knows them, that the general manager knows them, so for the planning of the organization, you know, those guys uh, would be uh, having legit shot fighting for the NHL roster.
0: Now I would imagine the history of the Red Wings and maybe where the club is at right now uh, And you said recruiting, I would imagine the Red Wings, are are they an easier sell? Because there obviously is some playing time here. There's some jobs available. Without really
1: getting into, I would say, the trade secrets of how we go about uh, the recruiting process, I think City of Detroit is more exciting to live than it's been since I've been in Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, since nineteen ninety eight. So, so we have the city on the upswing. Uh, I believe we have the best arena in the world uh, that caters to the hockey team that was built for a hockey team with the practice facility, the locker right. rooms, and uh, you know the venue is. Uh, I wouldn't say I've seen all of them, I've seen most of them mm-hmm. uh, around, uh, definitely seen all the top buildings in Europe, nothing compares to uh, Little Caesars Arena, and even in North America I think we're the number one uh, facility for hockey, so so we have the building, and then uh, with the amenities uh, also with, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes on staff, and uh, the way players get treated today, We, uh, you know, like with... Uh, Steve Eisenman and Chris Draper, and uh, you know, we just uh, when we we're in the locker room, what the Red Wings have today, and we were comparing what the Wings had in the late '90s, uh, you know, at the Joe Louis Arena and the the players' lounge. We that, can watch uh, you work
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there
1: was well, and there was a there was a players uh, the, the players' lounge was basically where you um, you know back then, so you're really dating back to wooden sticks you know so (laughs) you you used to uh, heat up your sticks and and bend and curve the sticks and you know to really have uh, um, you know a a tool that uh, you think that uh, you know is gonna uh, help you in the game and you know, there used to be this uh, old beat up, torn up couch uh, that, you know, three players would uh, sit on and a couple would be sitting on the railings, you know, of it. And, uh, you know, there would be one fridge in there for the team building for after right, the games, right, right. you know, so everybody's kind of hanging around in a room that was, uh, you know, 10 feet by, uh by ten feet, but and it promoted
0: uh, com- camaraderie, right? You, know you guys had it. were always together.
1: You're right. There's something to it. Like uh, <laughs> it's still a team game, uh, no matter uh, how corporate. Uh, you know, some of the top sports are becoming in uh, in North America particularly, and you know, obviously uh, uh, the players. Uh, um, even the average players are the the top players uh, that's interesting that uh, you know in the late 90s there were some players that were making right around the you know ten million bucks right, as right, well right. and but uh, but really the average players are uh, there's a huge difference in how well compensated they are today and so you know it's uh even though it's uh, I, I feel at times uh, uh, there is not as much closeness uh, you know within uh, Um, within the teammates uh, in the NHL now uh, as it used to be. Um, it, being being close, being together, it's it's extremely important.
0: Right. I, I wanted to ask you, and I knew you are going to be on, and I want to go into European or European hockey and European leagues. Uh, I write the uh, prospects uh, uh, by the numbers. Dana Wachigi and I, my colleague for DetroitRedWings.com.
1: And you guys do a really good job by but, the way. So I, I'm a big fan myself, and uh, you know I go on it every day. <laughs>
0: thank you. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, but there seems to be so many leagues in Europe. I mean, Liga and uh, you know the, the the Swedish Hockey League, which is used to be the Swedish Elite League. It, could you kind of break it down? Does each country have their own specific professional league, and then those professional teams have, for lack of a better term, you know, junior teams or slash. To, to, you know, make it to, so our American audience college teams or something that they can, guys can move in and out. How does that whole system, it, I, hopefully this isn't a real loaded question, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I, So know, the
1: I, system is extremely sophisticated and it's kind of very hard to navigate through, uh, you know, when you start hearing where all these players have been particularly drafted from. Because right, uh, right, right. you can have a European player that's already played uh I'll give you an example, Kapo Kako. Right. Uh, one of the top European players, obviously, in the recent years. He goes number two. And um, he is playing regular in Liga, the Finnish elite league. Uh, that's basically a fully professional league. Uh, you know, players don't go to work. Does and, Liga uh,
0: mean league? Is that um, the translation? Or uh, I mean? Yeah,
1: it just got an extra eye in there. so right, uh, right. You know, okay. The fans <laughs> like to be special. So, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, you're right that uh, um, it's not always country based um, but it certainly has a lot to do with their hockey federations and uh... but uh... you know russia uh... which is kind of the parent of the khl well khl until last year where you know they lost the team it was played in Slovakia uh but they lost the Slovakian team but it is in it is in Finland with Jokerit Helsinki um it is in uh, Riga Latvia is it it is in uh, Astana Kazakhstan uh, obviously numerous teams in Russia um you know you got uh, Minsk Belarus and uh, so you have uh, you know that's kind of widespread across uh, several several different countries across a huge territory that actually covers eight time zones imagine how hard wow. it is to fly from Detroit to Vancouver play a game pinball on the west coast and come back and you're wiped out right. well that's only three time zones like you're basically playing in Hawaii Like you're flying across uh, uh, a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of miles. And, uh, you know, so some of those teams, uh, they actually they are two weeks on the road, two weeks at home just because the travel, and they some of them, they they borderline fly uh, commercial. So it's uh, you know, it's not an easy league uh, on the player's body as well, particularly on some of the, you know, not as wealthy teams. And uh, so that's a league that's kind of has identity on their own. And then there's many leagues that are basically governed either by governing body of the country or by their f- respective federation. You know, there's a Czech league, there's a German league, there's a Finnish league, there's the SHL in Sweden. They all have their own little different names. But basically, you know, it's very territorial. Um, you know, they stick to their uh, country to kind of have those rivalries as well. And... Um, and uh, you know everything in Europe, it's uh, it's a club system, and uh, the best way to describe it is if uh, the Detroit Red Wings um, would basically own a, a feeder franchise all the way to mini mites, and those mini mites, they're four, five, six years old, and they're starting to play hockey. Uh, they move on to the 7 year olds and then move on to the 8 year olds So the they don't have year. drafts I mean,
0: per se I mean
1: No it's all basically uh, a registration based and uh, it is a little bit of a similar system to what uh, European soccer has um, where you know when you belong to a certain franchise uh, as a player then uh, you know there could be trades and there could be exchanges and uh, but it's uh, it, it is definitely a sophisticated system
0: So to make it If I understand you correctly, little little Dylan Larkin at five years old decides to play hockey. He plays in the Detroit Red Wings feeder system, so to speak, their mini-mite system. So, boom, 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 when he's ready to turn pro, he's a Red Wing. Um.
1: So if let's were let's, like European, let's, right? let's talk about little art. Let's talk <laughs> okay, about little art. Right, so when right, little right. art decides to play hockey, all right, okay. uh, that's usually because the dad decided. Uh, yeah, so right, uh, right, so right, little right. art's dad decided that yeah. little art's gonna play hockey.
0: All right, okay. And
1: then uh, so dad signs him up, uh, goes to the tryout. Um, you know, there there would be. Uh, uh, I'm if, an outstanding, exceptional young uh, talent. Very, uh, you know, there's a. <laughs> It's regional. Everything okay. is regional. Okay. You want to okay. be close to your home when you start playing hockey, right? right. So that's okay. how the European system is based. And I really believe that uh, it is also important. Uh, it teaches you completely different lessons that mm-hmm. you don't get here. Um, I'm obviously, I'm living in U.S. I have two sons that play hockey, so I can compare the both the way I was growing up and the way, you know, the work system, uh, the system works in Europe. And then, uh, you know, how my kids are growing up here. So I'll give you a few examples. You start playing uh, hockey in Europe because um, your mom and dad sign you up for a tryout, and you happen to make the team of the six-year-olds that everybody makes the team, and then and then by selective process of elimination, you know the the best ones just keep on playing, and uh, they keep moving up uh, uh, the ranks basically uh, with their age, and then the smaller towns of um, their surrounding where you start to. Play, some of their top players are joining the team it of the club. It happened Thomas and then, uh, So that's exactly uh, yeah. how that happens. And, you know, so they're, the, the family generally makes a decision at uh, which age is the most appropriate for the kid to kind of, you know, join maybe the, the bigger club feeder right. system. And uh, because I was growing up in a small town that only had the B division uh, of which would be kind of like the American League of, uh, of uh, Czech Republic at the time mm-hmm. and uh, you know when you have goals obviously um, you you want to play in the elite league you want to play in the NHL of the respective country and so it's called extra-league in Czech Republic and then so as confusing as it gets my dad uh, you know made the decision it would be probably a good time to do it at uh, when I was in the seventh grade and you know he started driving me uh, you know, four towns over which was about 30 minutes away and and um, you know for practices and I started playing for the really well-known franchise of Kladno that Yarmir uh, Jagers from and mm-hmm. the Cabrilla brothers and Patrick Eliash and numerous numerous NHLers that you know were really dominant right. uh, on the NHL uh, landscape and so so that's how it generally works over there whereas here uh, basically any given year um you know, parents basically uh, take their son to uh, uh or daughter to try out and uh, they either make the team or they don't right if they don't make the team then they try out for other teams and then they either make the team or not on the AAA level right, and if right. they don't happen to make the AAA, then you know they go to AA or play house and then and then next year they go to try out again for spring hockey and then where they make right. the team and so it is not unusual that there is a child at 10 years old uh, growing up in Detroit and has already played for five different franchises, from the Little Caesars to, uh, you know, the Bell Tire to Compuer to Oakland Junior Grizzlies. Right, Honey Baked, all that that stuff. All of them. And, uh, you know, it just uh, happens to be that they just keep pinballing, and, uh, you know, which... Gives you some benefits, but also has some drawbacks. Of uh, the benefit would be that uh, you're generally in an environment that's always excited about you being there, right? Um, and uh, you know, coach is enthusiastic, and there's always you know new new people that are coaching you, so you're probably learning some different things, and you're maybe playing a little bit more because obviously the team wants you. And uh, but at the same time. The drawback is uh, that uh, the, the the child is not learning the character aspect of the game, which is dealing with the coach on a long-term basis. The only way you're gonna get coaches' trust, if you either do everything that the coach wants, or you're a really good player. Right. One of the two, and uh, you know, at times, I uh, I I see lots of kids uh, here in North America pinballing, you know, and, and chasing the next franchise where the kids gonna play the most. And uh, they never learn to earn the coach's trust again, and you know, convince the coach by the performance that uh, hey, uh, I deserve the ice time, and I deserve to be on the power play. And uh, so there's different things that uh, are learned, obviously here. But uh, with uh, politics aside, I think USA Hockey has done a hell of a job in developing players, in developing the masses, the numbers. Well, this development program is—it's been. It, But even, you know, the Hlinka tournament, and then, you know, like here you got a development program that, uh, you know, 17 kids got drafted. Well, you know, several didn't, but 50 players got drafted from USA overall. And so, you know, on top of the 17 drafted from the program this year, there's been a bunch of others that play in different environments that that also uh, the NHL industry believes in.
0: Right, and, and I think you know, and I know we're kind of jumping around here, but you've explained the European system and, and, and actually you've kind of gotten into the North American system, although we haven't delved into the Canadian system, which I think most of our audience might be well aware of because it's been established for so many years the uh, the CHL with the Quebec League and the Western League and obviously the Ontario Hockey League and billeting families and kids have to make decisions and uh, you know, I think that as I said, I think that that's pretty well documented but the USHL seems to now at least am i wrong has also become a force as far as developing players or that these franchises and maybe it's just because i you know i've actually really studied it but it seems that that league now has kind of upped their game a little bit Uh, the ushl uh
1: quality of the play and even the franchises i believe is the best it's ever been right uh for several factors i think there are some very enthusiastic owners that uh, put um, they put teams in good cities with a good building. It's uh, exciting for the players to be there. Um, you know, they're 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 very comparable buildings to uh, the Canadian Junior now right. and. Um, so, you know, there, there always used to be kind of like a tug of war of recruiting the Canadian junior versus the college route. And once you commit to the Canadian junior teams, you know, you can't go to U.S. college anymore and because it's kind of considered as pro. And right, right, right. So, so uh, you know, there was a – and that still goes on. Now, USA Hockey has done a great job developing players. Um, I think the uh, – uh, university franchises done a hell of a job with building new facilities, having fantastic people in, on staff, from head coaches to the trainers to uh, the strength coaches, and uh, so they provide an environment uh, for a player to grow on top of uh, the degree uh, from uni- uh, you know from university uh, that's got a, that's got a brand name, and uh, you know that the scholarships are obviously extremely valuable now, and uh, and also by the NHL putting the salary cap system in place, well now you're looking for players that can kind of get in and they are playing at the entry level salary. So you have some players that are coming in straight from college and they're graduating college by 23, 24 years right, old and right. they're mature. and. Um, you know now uh, they're getting opportunities in the NHL
0: yeah you know, I get I, I I'm fascinated by this I could talk but I, I, I want to get more a little more specific in your role do you try to equally divide looking for college- free agents or do you spend most of your time in Europe how, how would you classify uh, where you actually, um, the time, yeah, so yeah, the, the time time management, yeah, yeah, the time management, exactly. Thank so, you, Yuri. So for me, <laughs> uh,
1: really, for the role, I think it uh, the season goes in three phases. There is there is the early of the year where you already know some of the players from the year before from the season before and they're returning back to college okay. or they're they still have a contract in europe or you know they're going back as an overage guy in juniors and so kind of touch base with them and uh just to make sure that uh you know how they look and uh, how is the early in the season and then and then uh, make sure that uh, you know we also show some interest level. That uh, hey, uh, you know, if you're turning pro at the end of the year, you know, uh, we're the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, we happen to like
0: you. It's is how is it different? You you talked about the rules and regulations that co- that the NCAA or college has. If you're interested in a college free agent, can you contact him, um, or or are there some guidelines that you have to follow as opposed to maybe Europe where. You can just walk into a room after a game and say, "Hey, we're Gary Fisher, Detroit." Well, there certainly
1: are guidelines, and you know uh, this—the recruiting to uh, the the guidelines for NCAA uh, that you hear about, you know, especially from football and from basketball. Well, that doesn't have as much to do with the pro teams. Right. Uh, They're recruiting the players from those environments as much as making sure that the university teams are not violating the rules
0: right right well that's a great story so so
1: for us um, as an NHL pro franchise um, what we want to make sure that uh, we don't do anything that would jeopardize the eligibility of certain player that's playing in college and um, uh, you know so we cannot provide anything for the player. Like, we cannot provide professional advice. We cannot provide anything material. And so we obey those rules. Now, I think there is also ethical process to it that uh, when um, – I'll give you example of uh, Taro Hirose. Right, okay. So he finishes the season with the Red Wings. And um, – you know, for part of the year, um, we knew, we invited him to our development camp and last he was, summer. He was very and, good. Uh, and he was very good. And, uh, you know, we watch him play, and uh, and, and you, you see that uh, he's very friendly with the puck. He really knows what he's doing on the ice, and uh, he makes a lot of people better. He makes a lot of plays. He's very smart. He chooses to go back to college. So he comes to our development camp, which is uh, allowed uh, based on... Uh, based on the rules, but he cannot enter the fall tournament that's going to be happening The prospects
0: tournament now.
1: So he cannot enter it when he's returning back to school. Well, we had another player, Nick Jensen, before, you know, he got traded to Washington. Well, for four years... Uh, he was in college. Uh, he happened to be defenseman of the year. He wasn't able to participate in any of these fall tournaments and uh, not to, uh, right. you know. Just development develop. camp. Exactly. So, the, uh, so Taro comes to our development camp, and then he joins uh, Michigan State for the regular season. So, they have uh, their captain skates, and, you know, the season kind of goes on, and now it's Christmas. And and uh, by Christmas, he's a junior. So he's got one more year of eligibility in, uh, to play for Michigan State, and you know, and now his season's going pretty well, and he's pretty high in uh, in the scoring, and then you know he's the best player on the team, and and now uh, obviously he is aware that there is an NHL interest, uh, you know, in, uh, in 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 signing him, and. Um, you know, when you're a really good player, you just know. And it's just based on how many people are watching and how many people are, you know, maybe uh, talking to uh, the family representative that all the players have. And then, so, uh, but now he has to make a decision. He has to make a decision. Am I going to go back to school for one more year or am I going to play pro in the spring? So, you know, he has uh, obviously... uh, his goal-setting and prioritizing to do and then uh, um, you know, lots of times uh, there are, um, you know, it's made public uh, knowledge when a uh, mm-hmm. certain player is, uh, is leaving school And but for me the ethical process is there's always a head coach that coaches uh, the university and never go behind his back. Hmm. So every time, like even last summer after development camp, like uh, I w- I would talk to uh, Dan Cole, and uh, obviously I've I've known him uh, for over over decades since he was uh, part of our franchise in Grand Rapids right, and I right, was right. still a player, and so we've known each other for a very long time. Then he was at the program here. I have a tremendous respect for him now. He's uh, uh, running Michigan State, and uh, I always stay in touch with him and uh, always um, you know keep him uh, posted on, hey, this is what Taro looked like, this is uh, how he uh, how he did in the camp, and then, you know, I'll, I'll see you during the year. And then so we kind of stay in touch. And, I uh, you know, we certainly don't want to be the franchise that uh, is known uh, or creates the reputation, which I think is absolutely wrong, that's pulling kids out of college early. Now, uh, and that is, you know, kind of being sneaky about the recruiting process. I think we really want to be transparent. And at the end of the day, uh, if we really happen to like a player, then we just want to be in uh, the recruiting game when the player chooses to leave college, and uh, that's what uh, that's what happened with Taro, and uh, that's what happened with Ryan Kufner, and uh, David
0: Pope the year before,
1: and uh, he was our draft pick, so it wasn't exactly oh, right. the same, right, right. same that's situation. Right. Right, right, right. But it was uh, Danny DeKaiser, and uh, you know that's when Mike Babcock was still here, obviously, and uh, you know and Jeff Blaschel recruited Danny. Um, you know, to uh, Western Michigan, and so there's a uh, there's players that uh, are signing NHL contract contracts uh, out of college that are undrafted. they we call them late bloomers because they become really good after age of twenty, and um, you know they, they generate a lot of NHL interest. And so when when it comes down to recruiting, um, I think uh, you mentioned earlier. Um, I think we're a very uh, desirable franchise uh, I think uh, that there is uh, certainly uh, more opportunity uh, to make the team than it was uh, in the late nineties or early 2000s uh, That's the reality of uh, um, you know uh, how uh, we need to get better and so uh I, you know I believe it's one player at a time
0: well me I I, I I you know we've kind of touched on the guys that I wanted to ask you about um, uh, and so. Uh, let's uh, let's turn to a European free agent that you signed, Oliver Kasky uh, and you know he played in the World Championships, he was on the power play seems to have a really good shot from the point he can actually run a power play how did that all come about? You're interested in him does this go back for several years that you can talk to him, Does he knows the Red Wings are interested because I would imagine he was considered one of the top uh, uh, UFAs in Europe, and the Red Wings somehow able, were able to uh, get him under contract. Well, if I go a couple years back, um, he played at Western
1: Michigan. Right. So right. when he, Oliver a year, is at Western right. Michigan, he's playing for Andy Murray. And um, then he, uh, for various reasons, decides to go back to Finland. Uh, so he signs with his home team of Helsinki. Um, He had an okay season two years ago and then he made a decision and he told me the story. He said, I wanted to be challenged, I wanted to go to a different environment that's not in my hometown. And he signed uh, a contract uh, in Lahti, which happens to be a city about an hour away from, uh, from Helsinki, coincidentally. Uh, a city where Libor Sulak played the Mm -hmm. year before that you know he got to play a handful of games in the NHL this past season and then now Libor was uh, coming to North America so they had an opening on D especially somebody uh, you know to help him on the power play and then then Oliver kind of at the right time right age uh, the right mindset because you know when he joined Lechti he was uh, 23 years old and uh, now he knows like it's, it's make it or break it year. I really have to be good. And he completely revamped his summer training. Um, he hired a new skating instructor, or actually for the first time, actually hired a skating right, instructor. Right. And then he worked and worked and worked. And he surrounded himself, uh, or he put himself in a situation where he was training with NHLers as well. He got stronger. He got more confident with the puck. And, um, like, when I would talk uh, to Andy Murray during this past season, um, you know, I in the second half I basically brought his name up uh, Oliver's name up and uh, I was like hey uh, you know how was Oliver exactly for you guys here and you know what's the you know what's the character background how is he with the guys right, and right. just uh, you know collecting information and and uh, first thing he would ask me is like how is this skating and um, and I'd say pretty good. He's right. a pretty good skater, especially on the big guys, he really gets around. Like he gets involved on the offense, you know, he goes back to get pucks. He uh, he whips a nice pass. He always tries to go tape to tape and uh, so oh, well, that's interesting. So he really must have worked on it. And so now you're getting all this feedback on uh, that uh, he's uh, whatever he's doing, it's working and now it's halfway through a lot of season you know and his name uh kind of started to pop up uh on the in the european ranks you wouldn't hear about him in north america yet because obviously right, he was, right, right. you know he wasn't signed to any contract and then uh, his kid that's uh, or man that's playing in europe and you know the leading score in the finnish elite league um of each team wears a golden helmet
0: oh really
1: so um let's say uh their team plays in uh, blue and white they get a little orange in there too but and everybody wears a blue helmet and the leading scorer wears a gold helmet so when uh, oliver started to really take off last season he never really played on the national teams and uh but uh, you know his season's going well and now it's february and he's leading the team in scoring so Anytime somebody shows up at the game, like oh, who is that guy in the gold helmet? You know right. he's a leading scorer, right? Wow, so you know it kind I of. I never like, knew that. So it catches everybody's eye, and and particularly being a defenseman. Right. <laughs> so right hand shot. It's running the power play, and uh, and now he got an invite uh, to. Uh, to play for the national team in February at the Swedish Games, which is a tournament of four nations of Czech Republic, Sweden, Finland and Russia. It happens in Sweden and um, he was probably the best defenseman for that respective uh, Finnish national team then. And. Uh, you know, their general manager is uh, Jara Lechtinen, a long time oh, yeah. NHL player and, uh, you know, also uh, played for Dallas, played for Dallas and you know won cups and uh, got the Selke, and, uh, you know, for best defensive forward, high in character player. And right. So he's the general manager and, um, you know, he really liked him. Uh, he really happened to uh, like Oliver. And so at the end of the year, he got another invite uh, for the pre-exhibition games of the World Championships. And this was a very unique year for Finland, for their national team, that none of the NHLers really wanted to come over and uh, and help the team from, uh, you know, the, the Barkov and Komarov and, uh, um, you know, guys. Uh, and then they had several young guys like Heiskanen uh, or Aho and, and, you know, players that, uh, um, you know, were still playing in the playoffs and uh, so, Bottom line: uh, None of the high-end NHLers wanted to join the team for the World Championships, and uh, so they basically uh, the Finnish Federation made a decision. We're going with uh, guys from Europe. Uh, they're either playing in the Finnish league, or when you talk about leagues, a guy that plays in um, in Sweden, but he happens to be Finnish. Right. Guy that plays in the KHL in Russia, that happens to be Finnish. Guy that plays in Switzerland, he happens to be Finnish, and then so they assemble the team together, and then. At the right time, they beat everybody they needed to beat. They ended up getting a gold medal, and uh, Oliver was a big part of it. And you know, playing against a Russian team of, uh, you know, uh, they uh, they won in the semifinals, uh, beating uh, beating Russia. Thing, yeah. And uh, you know, uh, kind of like a Cinderella story, their uh, their captain uh, uh, that's uh, six foot eight forward. Uh, you know, that's kind of been always. Uh, Uh, overlooked for uh, some of the national team events and then uh, you know last uh, last three games of the tournament uh, he was their most uh, valuable player and uh, you know scored uh, beat Russia uh, in the semifinals Uh, it was uh, it was a really good tournament for Finland good for them great for Oliver and uh, I'm excited till uh, until the can't wait for the camp starts and see him play here.
0: That's what makes sports so compelling, the competition. And you never really know what's going to happen. And I think that's just draws people there in, in droves. Uh, uh, Kasky signed a two-year deal because... Usually it's a three-year entry deal, but because of his age, or was there a rule or something that he can't... Uh, it was a, one, uh, oh, a one-year deal. Gosh. So he signs a, Oh, yeah, that's right, exactly. He signed a one-year deal because that's the only deal you could offer him right it's uh, the the CBA
1: is very clear it's all based on age and uh, the environments that players come from so when 95 born defenseman whoever that is this past spring was signing an entry-level contract from Europe he is signing a one-year deal
0: okay and so now I would imagine where the Red Wing blue line is, we all know that it's getting a little older and some guys are going to be in the last year of their deal, and you never know what's going to happen with injury and then in the trade deadline, and you know, Nicholas Cromwell, uh, so close to a thousand career games, uh, you know, it's, the door is open for him if he wants to return, so it seems like the blue line is going to be in flux based on what the Red Wings have done in the draft in the next couple of years. I would imagine, and I know that you probably don't want to go down this road, but Red Wing fans look at Oliver Kasky, and they expect that he has a legitimate shot at being in Detroit this season. Would you agree with that, or do certain things have to happen?
1: I think it's extremely unfair to the player that has not played in the NHL to be coming with those expectations to the training camp. I'll give you two examples. It happened with Anthony Mantha right who was the chl player of the year the best player in canada 80 goals 80 games looked pretty good in the two and a half games that he played in traverse city until he tripped and broke his His leg. leg right and that completely changed the developmental path that he was on you know there was all this talk about he's gonna get a chance with or Zetterberg, and you know this is the next big scorer. Let's wait till camp. The same we went through last summer with Phil Zadina, mm-hmm. and you know he's the highest draft pick that we've had since the last three decades, and you know he's coming in of the pedigree of, and of uh, of natural goal scorer right. and. Uh, <laughs> And the fan base, all of us included, are so eager and so excited about his future success. Right. Well, there is still a process. You gotta, you gotta be ready for the opportunity. You, uh, you gotta grab the opportunity. You gotta run with the ball. And I think the less pressure there is on younger players, the easier it is for them to earn the opportunity early, grab the opportunity. And become really good. So for Oliver's sakes, I think he's coming into the camp. Uh, obviously, Jeff Blaschel has seen him play. Right. Uh, Pat Verbeek has seen him play, who is uh, our new assistant GM that came over from the Tampa franchise. Steve has seen him play. And, um, you know, it's very good situation for him where everybody is uh, familiar with his game. Um, all the decision-makers in the organization at the end of the day it's the performance that makes a decision on the players behalf whether he's making the team or not training camps gonna happen uh, I know uh, Oliver's gonna come to Detroit a little bit earlier he wants to get uh, a little bit more acclimated uh, also get to know the guys on the team as well and I can already tell you he's a very outgoing guy um, you know he's got uh, perfect English and uh, you know he's uh, He's still staying in touch uh, with players uh, that he played with at Western Michigan, and uh, so I'm very excited that uh, he uh, he chose our franchise. Camp um, uh, obviously is going to be uh, a, a huge for him, and you know uh, what's going to happen on the blue line in the years to come. We'll see.
0: We're doing this uh, in between games here at the summer showcase, so. Uh, Team Canada and Team Finland have already played and Team USA and Team Sweden are about to go at it. So, unfortunately, because Yuri and I could talk forever, and we have over the years, I think, at times. But uh, I know that he needs to get out there and uh, and, and, watch, and watch this next game. Uh, Jonathan Berggren will be playing for Team Sweden. He twisted his knee in the f- first game he played, but he's fine and so eager to see what he does. He uh, really uh,
1: looked good in development camp. I'm excited to see him here in a real game as
0: well. Right, and he so he'll be playing but I, I want to ask you at this point you have a lot of irons in the fire uh, I'm, I'm not going to say who but one of your former Red Wing PR, pr- people said Yuri Fisher is by far the smartest hockey player I've ever met he knows eight languages you came over to play in the Quebec League as a young man because you wanted you know that professional opportunity to play on the on the uh, on the surface I mean you're an extraordinary human being you really are how many irons in the fire do you have in potential players now that you're going to be looking at this year, or do guys always pop up? Like, There might be a guy that you're not aware of right now, you will as, this, as the year progresses, that could possibly be the next Tara Horosi, Ryan Kuffner, or, or whomever.
1: So this is a this is a good opportunity to kind of finish off the, the time management that we okay. started talking about and so the the early in the year of hockey season which is basically the first couple of months you know who's been great from the season before in Europe in college and then you see who's going to return as an overage guy to juniors well then there's a the bulk of the season where i would say it's staying on top of those guys mm-hmm. but at the same time There's always somebody that pops up out of nowhere. And uh, Oliver would be one example. Right, And um, we knew that Taro Hirose is going to be a good player um, going into the season. But uh, with Oliver, he really came on strong halfway through the year and just kept on getting better. And so so that's where there's going to be a, a bulk of players. They're going to sign an NHL contract next spring, which is spring of 2020. Uh, with all the teams basically, from college, they're going to be coming from Europe and um, they're going to be coming from juniors um, and they really start becoming dominant right around Christmas time and then they hopefully carry it over to the second half of the year and then I would say marching on uh, to finish off the season. Uh, that's really the recruiting season. Uh, that uh, you know now we've narrowed down who we really like. Uh, we obviously uh, have to make uh, the big decision on who to believe in, right? Uh, and offer a contract and uh, and you know go about the recruiting process that uh, hopefully uh, can get a deal done at the end of the season. And uh, but that really also goes whether. Um, we were planning with Ken Holland and now planning with Steve. Uh, th- there is a long planning that goes towards that and right. now, you know, we've had uh, several drafts but we drafted more players than uh, normally and uh, just by the numbers and uh, so we're going to be we're going to be forced to make more decisions on uh, you know who to sign to an NHL contract or not, and it always comes down to the 50 contracts. Right at the end right. of the day, you never want to be at 50 because then you can't make any trades, and you can't uh, make any moves your hands it's are it's contract tight. for contract. And right. then, you know, or you cannot sign an extra free agent at the end of the year, and so so really, uh, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Uh, there is, uh, I can tell you that uh, there is. Uh, There's two college guys uh, forwards uh, that I uh, that we really like. There is one college defenseman that we really like going into the season. And uh, there is uh, several guys in uh, uh, in Europe. And, uh, you know, I'm heading uh, to Russia on Wednesday. Uh, Sorry, uh, on Wednesday, I'm actually going tomorrow, Thursday. And, um, you know, I'll uh, I'll be uh, in Europe for the next uh, four weeks. you know, going to uh, five different tournaments and, uh, and really uh, try to uh, uh, try to get ahead uh, of uh, you know what players look like uh, after the summer because uh, some players uh, when the light the switch goes off in their head and they really commit for four months and I keep repeating this to everyone they can change their career. Right, they get into the season. Their fitness level is sky high. Uh, they look better than ever. That obviously co- catches the coach's uh, attention. Now the coach uh, starts to believe in the player a little bit more, and then the player gets an opportunity and and uh, starts performing and maybe better than ever before. So. It is important, and uh, you know. So now August goes, and uh, you know there isn't really that much uh, hockey being played in North America outside of uh, Canadian junior games. college not starting really uh, until October, and then you know all pro camps, uh, NHL starting. You know the tournaments are starting on uh, on the fifth and sixth, respectively, of September, and so right now there is a great opportunity for the next five weeks. Um, really scout heavily in Europe and, right, makes uh, sense. and um, you know try to get uh, get ahead of the game.
0: Okay, uh, Yuri. Now I'm going to ask you this because if I don't, people Red Wing fans are going to. I'm going to hear about it all the time. You know, over the years I've talked about it. The one story that you know when you had your cardiac episode, um, the thing I loved more about. I, I mean, obviously I didn't like that whole situation. I mean, I wish you would have you know still been a player. Trust me, but. You went to all these cardiac symposiums literally around the world, so much so they didn't know that you were a professional hockey player. Many of these cardiologists, these big-time doctors, thought you were a doctor. How are you today? How do you feel? You look great. You look, you know, healthier than a horse, as the old expression says. But, uh, you know, it's a very scary incident that... You know, my friend, you've rebounded, and I I couldn't be happier for you. But how is that all standing? Well, 14 years, yeah.
1: uh, It's been really, uh, you know, uh, any cardiac event-free 14 years. It was certainly a scary time at the time, and I get reminded on weekly basis um I, I go somewhere meet some people and it's like, hey i was at the game right like, right
0: then against the predators know, so, right so here. then i
1: have some of those uh <laughs> smart ass sarcastic comments like i was there too <laughs> like, like, then people would say well i'll never forget that game i was like well, i don't even remember it you know right, so, right. So, like i came off the shift and uh, uh fell over fell asleep and then you know what the best thing about it is I can laugh about it now. Right. I feel great, right. and uh, you know, it. The the worst thing that any cardiac um, incident survivor has to go through is the aftermath of trying to grow the confidence back that it's not going to happen again. And wow. uh, and that was part of uh, going wow. to all different symposiums. And, uh, you know, what happened uh, during the Nashville game, obviously falling unconscious and being in ventricular fibrillation and then being revived and waking up in a hospital, I literally missed 40 minutes of my life that I don't remember. And, um, and uh, you know, then being released out of the hospital. Well, then it happened again the following week, and then I was released and or stabilized right. while I was hospitalized and then released, and then it happened again. And so when it happened three times in two weeks span, and uh, you know, I I have a, I have a saying uh, that uh, I left Tuesdays. And well, you know why? I had three cardiac arrests. Every one of them was on Monday. And, really? uh, and i really wow. started wondering like what is like because <gasps> in the nhl like uh it is uh, it, essentially it's a profession but you don't have a work week you have game days you got days off right, and then right, and right. Like, you got practice days that's those are only three days that you really have all season long and then it varies you're on the road or you're at right. home and then so you don't really have mondays versus you know saturdays right, right, and right. you know thursdays and on and but i had three cardiac arrests all three of them happen on monday evening and uh, now obviously the, the, the first one, the highly publicized, that was the one against Nashville. And then, now it takes a lot of learning and then uh, little by little and, and just like you tear your ACL or you tear your shoulder, you got to go to rehab and we went to cardiac rehab, was hooked up on all these funny different uh, um, you know machines and just to kind of feel a little bit more secure than anything uh, can happen that uh, being supervised and and you know what I had a moment there in the cardiac rehab where I saw people they were alive. Mm-hmm. they lost hope really? and I made a decision that's not how I want to live, that's not who I want to be. And obviously, age-wise, you know, there was a huge span. I was 25 years old, and there were people in 70s there, and, you know, but the vast majority were over 50 years old. And um, and it was sad to me to witness at one point, because I didn't feel that bad. Like, I, you know, a week before, I was a professional athlete, so I was still, obviously, in pretty good, right, a pretty right, good shape. Right. But for most of the people in the cardiac rehab, these survivors that, you know, they. It's always the common theme. Like you should feel lucky you survive. Well, you don't feel good. <laughs> like confidence right, is right, cracked, and right. you know like you wow. feel tired. Like it's always messing with their head. And uh, and then for for most of the patients in in the cardiac rehab, that day, whether they went once a week or three times a week, that was the highlight of the week. Right. And lots of the elderly, in the seventies. Some of them, they had kids on the West Coast. And I remember talking to uh, a grandpa there that, uh, you know, didn't really have anybody in Detroit anymore. Right. Uh, he's, uh, he's gone through uh, a couple of heart attacks, and which is different than cardiac arrest. But he's gone through that. And, and then, you know, you really kind of start digging in deep uh, in your mind, like what's the purpose here? What's mm-hmm. the purpose? And I, so, uh, you know, while, uh, while people talk about it, you know, without becoming philosophical, like do something that you feel good about. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's what hockey has been so great. Uh, I really, uh, I you know now working for Steve and, uh, you know, uh, I worked for Ken before he drafted me and then, uh, uh he had such phenomenal, Life lessons mm-hmm. that working for Ken with Ken, it, he was always about you gotta learn to love it and learn to love it. Was you know, at the end of the day, lots of things are fun when it stops being fun. Then, what do you do? You know, like right. some people just want to switch careers and they want to do different things, and then you know, especially see it with kids, right? Right like, you know, so and uh. And uh, I, I learned uh, to love the front office, and it's fantastic. So well, you do it's, a great it's a, job. It's a daily, right? daily, daily, uh, you know, daily chase of, uh, of purpose. It's a lot of fun.
0: Well, Yuri, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, I was there, I, you know, I, that night, and... Uh, I was, too. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, touche, my friend. All right, uh, Yuri, thanks I appreciate this so much. I mean, it's fascinating topic. You you know, it, you, it it you know, you're in a good spot. I'm happy for you. I've always been happy for you. I love talking to you as you very well know. Thank you for being on the Red and White Authority and uh, we'll have you on again real real soon cuz we we've really kind of scratched the surface of everything that you do and uh, uh and uh you know, hopefully next time you'll be a little more uh uh up front and give us some scoops about who the Red Wings are looking at. I I know that's not going to (laughs) happen. He's laughing already. But thank you very much, Yuri. It's always great to see you. Thank you for being on the Red and White Authority. Thanks for having me.